Thank you to the Mercy and Justice team. Uh, you know, at, with all the excitement of uh, last week's activities, we never really took the time to recognize the work that's been done here in the sanctuary. And, uh, and so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of changes that have taken place in here since we met last. We got new chairs, there's new carpet, there's a new podium. Perhaps the biggest change is, that the, is the fact that the sound booth got moved from this back corner upstairs. And uh, so all of this has happened really out of the generosity of people's, uh, out of people's hearts that God just kind of laid it on their hearts. In fact, uh, I'm going to recount how, uh, a few things here, and as I do, just recognize that not once have we gone before the church asking for money for all of this or asking for volunteer help. I really believe that, it is, that this is of the Lord just by the way it has transpired, but when we were meeting uh, just online, uh, someone in the church, an anonymous uh, donor, came and said, I want to give uh, money to purchase new chairs for the sanctuary. And uh, I, to be honest, I went directly to Bob, who's our board chair, and uh, I don't even know who that person is, so whoever you are, thank you. And, uh, but there was money given to the church for the chairs, and I don't know if they thought, well, this is a great time, we're not using the sanctuary, or they had the foresight to think, well, eventually we're going to need to move things around and social distance, or whether they thought, well, it's just needed, but we're grateful that uh, that donation was given. But then someone got word of that and thought, well, if we're going to take out the uh, pews, we might as well replace the carpet at the same time. And so they gave a gift. And uh, someone thought, well, if... Uh, if we're going to do all of that, then we might as well uh, move the sound uh, booth while we're at it. That, that, that person I know, Daniel Romero, took that on. And Daniel's an electrician. Let's give Daniel a big hand. Dan Daniel had the ingenious idea of moving it up here. And when we found out that it was structurally strong enough that we could be done, it was a lot of work, but it could have been a lot more. Uh, we were blessed to be able to, uh, to move it up there without having to reinforce the ceiling or anything like that. And then someone said, if we're going to move the sound booth, we had a donation to buy new sound equipment. And, uh, and all of these gifts, and someone donated to buy the new podium, and all of these things were done. And a lot of people put in a lot of work, painting and cleaning and uh, wiring and a, uh, putting in new sound equipment and lighting and all of that stuff. So I highlight all of that to say, what a blessing when uh, the Lord moves in people's hearts and uh, what a blessing that we as a church can partner together in different ways. Sometimes we come with an appeal and say, hey, we sense the Lord is doing it. And then sometimes the Lord just puts it on people's hearts and nudges people in one way or another. And I find that quite uh, interesting when we turn to Nehemiah 11. Because Nehemiah 11 is one of those passages that there is a, a nugget of truth here, a nugget of application that kind of goes right along this idea of people volunteering to serve and work for the Lord. 
Nehemiah 11, if you, when we look at this chapter together, this is one of those hard chapters that's just full of a bunch of Old Testament names that I have no idea who these people are or what they, uh, what they did. And so when we turn to this passage, we have to kind of put our explorer's hats on because what we're doing is we're looking for nuggets of truth and nuggets of application. In these verses, with a lot of unfamiliar names, there are some little diamonds in the rough, some little things that we can pick out here and there that are beautiful pictures of application and truth for us. And in fact, what I think we're going to see here this morning as we f- discover these diamonds in the rough is we're going to see pictures of what it means to volunteer and to serve the Lord. And what we're going to see here is there's tremendous benefits for it. They are diamonds. They're beautiful. These little acts of service are wonderful things. And so uh, I just highlight all of that to say, let's praise the Lord for what he's already done. Let's praise the Lord uh, for what he's going to do. And, uh, and my prayer is that even as we look at this passage this morning, that God's going God's to uh, nudge some of you, you know, that little, that little spark in the heart to say, this is what I could do for the Lord. And we never know how God is going to use that. And so I'm really thankful for all of those that are working hard. And my prayer is that this morning we would be encouraged, that we would be, uh, that we would be motivated as we see the beauty of this passage, be motivated to serve the Lord in new ways. It's Nehemiah 11. Let me start with verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring uh, one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. That's where we're going to start, but before we go any farther, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to us today. Father God, as we open up um, your word, we, God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, we pray that your spirit would come and rest and encourage us and, and motivate us and, and maybe even convict us to the things that you would have for us. And so we lift up this message to you and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So where we're at in Nehemiah is, as we've said, the walls have been rebuilt, and the gates have been hung, and, uh, and, and this is a large city. But the problem is, even with a, a protective gate around the city, people are not banging on the gate to get in. People are not fl- uh, flocking to move into the city. Right now in, in Southern California, we've got a crazy housing market, right? Uh, I imagine it's supply and demand. There is more demand than there is supply. My neighbor just put up his house on the market, and uh, he said within the first 24 hours of having the mar- house on the market, he had 18 offers. Like, you've got to be, if you want to buy a house right now, you've got to have your down payment ready, and you've got to uh, be on the ball because things are going like hotcakes, like they're, they're going. And the exact opposite is happening in Jerusalem. There's so much room, and yet the people are not moving into the city. In fact, uh, what we read in Nehemiah 7, 4, it says, Now the city was large and space, spacious, but there were few people in it. And this was a problem. 
because they didn't rebuild the city just so that people could come and worship there in the temple. And they didn't just rebuild the city because uh, they wanted a, pe- a place for people to vacation in the summer. No, this was to be a place where people were to move in and inhabit so that they could experience the blessing of God in the holy city. So why weren't people moving into the city? Well, for one, I imagine is that they're comfortable. They're com- they've gotten used to living out in the surrounding villages. You know, their kids are in good school. They know the guy that runs the market on the street. He always gives them a look, good lamb chop when they go and visit them. They, they like where they're living. They've built up their house. It's a nice front yard. If they move into Jerusalem, it's going to be a whole new experience. The average American moves six times in their lifetime. That's the, the statistic I found. This it actually seems low to me, but you've all moved. And you know what everyone says after they get done moving? Don't want to do that again. Nobody likes to move. The people don't want to move into the city. And then, uh, and then if they do move in, it's going to be hard work. They've got brand new gates and brand new walls, but guess what's in the middle of the city? It's still a pile of rubble. It was destroyed 150 years ago. If they want to build a new house, they're not only going to have to lay a new foundation and build a new house, but they've got to clear away the rubble to begin with. And so here's the dilemma that they're in. How are they going to get people to move back in the city? Well, in verses 1 and 2, we're given three ways. The first thing that it says is that the leaders settled into the city. In other words, if you wanted to get a city paycheck, you had to move into the city. The, uh, the, employee, the city employees, the city councilmen, all of those that were working for the city had to live in the city. That's way number one. The second thing it says here is that they cast lots. Did you catch that? It says one out of ten uh, were chosen. Their, their lot was cast. It was kind of like a draft. If their number was called, they had to move back into the city. And we think of casting lots as kind of a weird way to force uh, families. It's such a big decision. But uh, in Old Testament times, casting lots was considered a, a good way to discern the, uh, the will of the Lord. But here's the third way. And this is the first diamond in the rough. This is the first place where we can find encouragement this morning. It's found at the end of chapter 2. In fact, I want you to read this verse with me. It says, The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Okay, let's read that together. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. You notice that there was, there was some that, that raised their hands and said, I'll go. I'll live in the city. The Hebrew word for volunteer here is nadab, which means to incite or to impel or to make willing. They were, these people were uh, impelled to move in the city, not, by the, not forced by the leadership, but God laid it on their hearts. They knew it was going to be hard. They knew they would have to uproot and get situated in a new committee. But there were some that raised their hand and said, I'll go, because they felt like that's what God wanted them to do. And some of you, at some point in your life, some of you may sense God wants you to move into a certain area. Some of you may actually feel like God wants you to move to West Covina, because this is a, this is a ministry right here around this church. 
And some of you may not sense that God wants you to move here, but God wants you to serve here. And you'll, you'll have that nadab. You'll have that, that conviction in your heart that God wants you to serve this community. Or maybe it is to serve in the church because you believe, that the, you believe in the vision of the church to reach the community and to be a blessing to the community. And so God looks upon us those of us that when we have the sense of God's conviction in our hearts, that, that when we raise our hand and we say, I'll go, I'll do it, God looks upon that kind of faithful obedience with, with pleasure. You notice what it said in verse 2? That the people were commended. Those were, they were commended for volunteering to serve the Lord in this way. And I look at uh, what has been done in this sanctuary and I look at what's being done in various ministries of our church and what's being done in our community and all of those that are volunteer, and I can't help but think that God smiles upon those acts of service. You see, when we are, when we are faithfully obedient to God's call in our, in our lives, God looks upon that with pleasure. He smiles. The smile of God is the most important thing. Jesus said while he was on earth, how can, you believe, how can you believe if you accept the praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Isn't that a beautiful verse from Jesus? May each of us live to obtain the smile of God, not the praise that comes from one another. Though if we do get that encouragement, we receive that as a gift of God and are thankful for it. But may we live to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. I have a verse hanging in my, uh, the wall in my home office that speaks of this idea of commendation. 2 Corinthians 10.18 says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I really feel like that's, that's, a, that's a verse that I have to hang on to. And each of us in, in our lives, may we, may we seek to not build ourselves up, commend ourselves. The person that seeks to commend himself and to see himself approved is not, is not living the will of the Lord. But may we be the ones that we seek the commendation of the Lord. May we seek to gain favor in his eyes. Many people today are seeking simply to build themselves up. They seek to have success at work. They seek to be seen well in the eyes of others. Many people, their lives are just a constant uh, striving after approval for others. And I'll just say, that's a heavy burden to carry. In fact, some of you may be here this morning and the anxiety of pleasing others and the anxiety of being successful at work and the anxiety of uh, just trying to be well-liked and all of those things, that's a burden that's weighing you down that you do not have to carry. In fact, the gospel message is that we, are fi that we find favor in God not because of anything we do ourselves, but because of the grace of God. And I, my challenge for all of us in our own lives and in our, especially when we think of our, who we are and our identity is not to, be, not to worry so much about what anyone else thinks of us, but to seek to have our commendation from the Lord alone. May we live to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. That's a life that is full of satisfaction and peace. 
But to strive, to seek to commend ourselves, to seek to build ourselves up is a heavy burden that we ought not to carry. The majority of the rest of Nehemiah 11 is full of names, like I said. And so we're just going to skip over most of those names. I'm not going to burden myself with trying to pronounce them all right. But in, the, but in the rest of the 34 verses that follow these first two verses, like I said, there's some diamonds in the rough. And as I've read this, I've noticed there's four ways that it specifically says that people are serving the Lord. Look at verse 10 and 11. Jedekiah, the official, and I'm skipping over some names here, but Jedekiah, the official in charge of the house of God and their associates, who carried on, the, who carried on work for the temple, 822 men. So in other words, these are individuals that did the work of the temple. If there was things that need to be done, if we were to put it in, uh, in our day and age and in our context, if there were things that needed to be done at the church, these were people that did the work. If there were people that needed to volunteer to teach the youth or to teach the children, these 822 people were the volunteers. Those that served on the Mercy and Justice Committee, these were the ones. Those who ministered to the poor or, the, or visited the sick or led a life group or served in the kitchen, they volunteered. That is a diamond in the rough. The second group of volunteers is in verse 16, and it lists a whole bunch of people, and then I pick it up at the end of verse 16. These individuals were those who had charge of the outside work of the house of God. So in other words, these were the ones that were taking care of the building. These were the ones that were taking care of the facility. The first group were the ones who were what we would call doing the ministry. These were the ones to making sure that all the behind-the-scenes work was, was done. And so to put it again in our context, we would say these are the landscapers and the painters and the electricians and the builders and those who take care of the building. And, what they, and the task that they have been given is an important task because the temple was a special place that the people came to worship the Lord, and so it should be well-maintained. And the same thing is true here. The church that we have been given, the grounds that we've been given, is a special place. In fact, when we consider our mission, our, our vision statement to open our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gates, the idea is that people are coming and receiving and being blessed by God as they come. And so we want to maintain uh, well-kept kept up facilities. But then I also think of the hands-on work of all the stuff that's done uh, digitally and with technology today. And you know, I'm very thankful for those that can do that kind of work. Because I'll be the first to admit, I have no clue. All right? I am very thankful. And we've got a lot of people in our church that can do that kind of work. That's a blessing, especially as technology becomes more, not only complicated, but necessary. And so I am praying that God continues to give a, nad a nadab, a nadab, that Hebrew word that God con continues to spark people's hearts to say, I might not be a teacher, I might not be able to serve on a committee, but I can do something. God's given me a skill. God's given me the, the ability to work with my hands or to work on the computer. And this is the second group. Now, the third group of volunteers is seen in verse 17. How many of you have ever heard of Mataniah in the Bible? Mataniah, raise your hand. If you, tell me who Mataniah is. 
No hands? Don't worry, I didn't know before Wednesday of this week either. But verse 17 introduces us to Mataniah. Now look at this ministry. Is this not a wonderful ministry? Mataniah, the son of uh, Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph. Now it gives us his ministry. Mataniah was the director who led in thanksgiving and prayer. Is that not a wonderful ministry? His whole ministry was to give uh, thanks to God and to pray. And if the ministry of West Covina Christian Church is to be uh, successful, if we are to reach people for the kingdom, there will be many who raise their hand and say, I'll go, I'll pray, I'll be among those that, uh, that commit this uh, ministry to the Lord. We need prayer warriors. And I know we've got prayer warriors. Every, uh, I'll send out prayer chain emails of people that request prayer for various things, and somebody will come up to me several months later and say, how is so-and-so? I've been praying for them. Oh, I should, have sent out a rem- I should have sent out an update. They're doing better now. But that's amazing to me that t- two months later, somebody will still say, I'm praying for that individual. We've got prayer warriors. I know someone in our church that uses the prayer directory as their prayer guide every day. They just go by family. They pray for you by name. A page or two in the directory every day, and they pray. We need prayer warriors. Someday we'll stand in heaven, and uh, God will be giving out his, his little jewels for the crown that we receive, and there will be uh, some people that get some really sparkly gems for their crown. And it's uh, related to the ministry of our church. And the people that will get the jewels will not only be those that put in a lot of time and effort with the hands-on, with the first group of ministers, but it'll be the prayer warriors too. They may get the biggest diamond for their crown. God needs prayer warriors. We need prayer warriors in this church. People that'll say, I'll pray, and then actually pray. Systematically pray. Pray for the ministries of our church. Pray for those that we are seeking to reach. Pray for our leaders. And and, uh, please, pray for your pastors. I, I'll admit, I'm not too proud. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dawson says on the first prayer, pray for your pastor. That's right. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I, I covet your prayers. I appreciate that a lot. But then there is a fourth group. It's found in verse 22. Uzziah was one of Asaph's descendants who were musicians responsible for the service, for the service of the house of God. So the fourth group of volunteers to serve in this new city that they, had, that they were reestablishing of Jerusalem were the musicians. Music is really, I think this is a really important volunteer position for their context because mute music helps set the culture. You want a city not only uh, that is well-maintained, you want a city with vibrancy, And music helps uh, shape us and form us and give us energy and life. When you go into a restaurant, have you ever been to a restaurant that doesn't have background music? You you sit down and you feel like, what's wrong with this place? You don't notice the music unless it's not there. But every every restaurant has background music because it creates an ambiance and it creates an environment. And the same thing could be said uh, for music in the church. Music is super important. 
In fact, music helps us set our culture, and it creates life and energy. Music is not only important because it is one of the key ways that we worship the Lord, but music is important because it helps define what kind of church we are and who we are trying to reach. And so uh, the worship music of our church is really important to help people feel uh, good. It is, it's important for us to, again, accomplish this vision statement so that many may uh, enter the gates, uh, the narrow gates, to come to know Jesus. And I appreciate, I've been at this church for 10 years now, I appreciate that we have never had what we call worship wars. And, uh, and I know the music has shifted and evolved through the years. And uh, to be honest, it's going to continue to shift and evolve because that's a, that's a needed thing in the life of a church. If a, if a church ever gets stuck with a certain type of worship, it's on, a, it's on a bad path. There's a long track record here. Churches that don't uh, uh, naturally involve and change in terms of their worship style eventually grow stagnant and decline. In fact, the reason that we have this facility is because 21 years ago, that happened to a Baptist church that was meeting here. And so it will evolve and it will change, and that's a good thing. And sometimes it might not change to our preferences, and that's okay, because the call is not just to make us uh, comfortable with what we like. The call is to help us accomplish a mission, to spread a passion for God so that he is above all else in our lives, church, and community. And the, and the worship uh, music and style and, that, and those type of things, yes, first of all, we serve an audience of one, but second of all, it helps us create a culture within our church. It helps us to accomplish a mission. And so I'm very thankful that we as a church have a lot of unity that say the mission reigns supreme over our personal preferences. And I hope that we all have music, we will always have music here that's, that we like, but if we don't, that's okay, because God's uh, called us to something bigger. God's called us to reach the community around us, and that's uh, super uh, crucial. So let us continue to give each other a lot of grace and generosity and support this uh, aspect of our church life in prayer. So here, are, those are the four diamonds in the rough. Those are the four types of volunteers. Uh, we got those that are doing the work of the ministry. We got those that are, do, that are taking care of the behind-the-scenes work, the building and the technical things. We got those that are supporting the ministry through prayer, and we got those that are serving the ministry or serving the Lord through music. Now let me give us four concluding principles on volunteering uh, for God. The first one is that your service matters to God. You know, we got new chairs in this church, not just so that people can come and sit once a week. We are called to be active. This is like a gathering. This is like the training place, like the battle. This is the place where we get come and we get equipped for the battle. Your service matters to God. What you do uh, it puts a smile on God's face. It, it, uh, it matters for the Lord. Number two, your service will be rewarded. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You will be rewarded for those secret things that are done for the Lord. That matters. And then thirdly, your service to God is a labor of love. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people. And he will remember that you are still helping them. And so our labor of love is, first of all, to God, and then to love those that God has brought into your, to our lives. And the last principle to remember is that God cares about faithfulness. Far more than how big we ever get or how uh, successful we're ever seen, God cares that we are faithful to his call in our lives. I read an article this past week uh, about a guy by the name of Casey Church. Casey pastors a church to Native Americans in New Mexico. And when he was younger, he was sitting in a meeting of of the elders of this Native American tribe. And uh, as he was sitting there, uh, he noticed that all the leaders of the tribe that stood up and were presenting were all pretty elderly. They were all older. And as he was sitting there, God did that work where he nudged Casey's heart. In fact, Casey uh, felt so compelled by the Lord at that moment that God was uh, saying in his heart, who is going to uh, take these elders' place? When these older men cannot lead any longer, who's going to take these elders' place? And Casey felt that conviction for the Lord so strongly that he answered out loud, I am! Kind of like, I'll go! In fact, he said, everyone in the meeting turned around and looked at him like, who are you talking to? Uh, but here he was, he says, I am! I'll, I'll take the uh, lead. And, uh, and now Casey today pastors a church of 75 Native Americans. And he said in terms of Native Amer- American churches, that's like a mega church. There's not that many Native American churches out there, and they're not very big. But God doesn't care about the size nearly as much as he cares about our faithfulness. And so my application for you today is very simple. What does God want you to do? And he might not speak so directly as he did to Casey Church, but you might have just that that small nadab, that Hebrew uh, idea of conviction. He might nudge your heart to impel you to serve one way or another. Will you be among those that raise your hand and say, I'll go, I'll go, I'll do it. Would you be among those that say that you will serve him? So how will you serve him this week? How will you serve him in uh, the months to come? And as you quietly serve the Lord, may you know that God is pleased. He commends all those who faithfully seek to obey him. His smile is upon you today. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. You know, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, um, I'm just reminded of uh, the idea that I, I had said earlier in the message that there are some who are just living for the approval of others. And uh, some of you may come here this morning, and to be honest, you're tired. You've been striving, striving, striving. And uh, 
there are anxieties in your heart and, and you're here this morning and you're just like, I can't keep living this way. I'd like to give you an opportunity before we close uh, this message this morning to ask Jesus to come into your life and to, and to be the center of your life. In fact, I'd like to invite some of you here that are here, but you have never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I'd like to invite you to uh, receive Christ into your life today. Because, you know, this life is not meant to be lived in our own strength. In fact, there's a rule of thumb that we really ought to get drilled down into our minds and into a into our uh, hearts, and that is that uh, we are sinners saved by grace. And uh, some of you this morning, God may be laying on your heart to say, today's the day, enough of the striving, enough of the anxiety of trying to measure up. Today's the day where we're going to just receive the love of God for who we are and who he has created us to be that we're going to turn our lives over to him and we're going to receive the smile of God, not because we've done anything super fantastic, but simply because we want to be, we want to be uh, faithful and obedient to his call in our lives. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you are here this morning and you're, just, and you're ready to say, I'm done, I want to surrender my life to Christ. And, you, and, and you're here and you're saying, uh, I don't think I've ever fully committed my life to the Lord. I want to invite you just to raise your hand. And nobody's going to look around, but I want to invite you to raise your hand and say, I want to become a follower of Christ this morning. Amen. Father God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for those that you are laying it on their hearts to say, I want to give my life to Christ. God, I pray that you would help them to uh, follow you, to trust in you. Help them to find their identity in you. God, I pray for all of us that have been Christians for a long time, and yet we've fallen back into the trap to say it's a, it's a life of striving and working and trying hard. God, I pray that we would come this morning with open hands just saying, God, my life is in your hands. Whatever you call me to, that is what I'll do. And God, I pray that we would sense this morning your smile upon us, that we are commended not because of what we can do in our own strength, but we are commended even for our feeble and failing uh, attempts at following you. But God, we, we know that you long for faithfulness more than anything. And so God, we place our faith in you and ask that you would continue to bless us and help us and move us individually and as a church. May we move forward with your help and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.